Hello, and welcome back to the Anchored Family Ministry Podcast. We are three dedicated staff members helping families navigate what it looks like to build disciples at home. Sometimes we have some shuffling here in this room, but today it is myself and Paul and Daniel joining me as Christmas is right around the corner. So Merry Christmas to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. The boys are back in town. It's just guys today. I'm just sorry. Just the guys. Yep. No Jennifer. We were talking about if we could play that as an introduction to this episode. Wasn't sure about the copyright. So everybody's probably singing in their heads right now. Though. They are. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Christmas today, the Christmas story, and we're going to go through Luke 2, the account of Jesus's birth and the things that took place after that. But before that, we're just going to talk a little bit about Christmas. Do you guys have any memories from Christmas past, whether it's watching the Christmas story or a Christmas story on TBS, anything like that, or anything you're looking forward to with this Christmas? It just seems to me like all the movies are on all the time, everywhere. (laughs) I mean, Christmas. Especially on Hallmark. Yeah. It's been like Home Alone has been playing for weeks now and all the movies. Yeah. And and then there's movies. It's funny. There's some I watch and I'm like, "Eh, I don't really like this one that much. Why do we watch it? But there's Mm -hmm. others I kind of like more. There are some that you like more for the sentimental value. So like the old, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with the Mm -hmm. claymation, just like the fact that it was made before we had all of this technology and media (laughs) that we have now to make it. Yeah. But yeah, but then there's others that are not quite as good. I've gotten on the Christmas vacation train the past few years. I probably didn't watch it until maybe a year or two ago, but love Christmas vacation. Elf, of course, Home Alone. My favorite is A Christmas Story. There's just something about, yeah, you know, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. And for me growing up, wanting Christmas presents. What do you think, Daniel? Well, I like all the ones y'all mentioned. I think they're better when you watch them as an adult. I remember watching Christmas Story as a kid, and, and I didn't yeah. like it at all. Yeah, my kids didn't uh, either. Yeah. But watching it as an adult, it's hilarious. Yeah. You know? It gets funnier. Yeah, it's really written for parents and stuff like that. It's pretty good. Your opinion on Polar Express. Some people love it and others are freaked out by the way the animation was done. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen it. And somebody said, Yo, you gotta watch it, you know. And nah, I just I have no interest to watch it. It's interesting. It's I good. It. I think it's so neat. It probably came out, let's see, I'm 30. Probably came out when I was 15 or 16 yeah. or something. So I was kind of past the kid mm-hmm. age, but I still watched it. And yeah, it's it's really neat. Our kids like it. We try to go every year to Stone Mountain Christmas, which I really like. I recommend it. If you've not mm-hmm. done that, there's some deals out there where it's a little more affordable. If you look, there's a part where you get to ride a train. It's freezing cold, that little train that goes around the mountain, but it mm-hmm. stops halfway through and they share the whole gospel, like we're about to do right now. They do that. I love wow. it. Yeah, it's one of our favorite parts. Because I mean, that train is packed with people and they don't know that that's necessarily coming. But it's kind of neat to see that. But... While we're at Stone Mountain, too, there's a Polar Express. You can go watch the Polar Express in the theater there. And it's really fun, too, because the chairs kind of rumble. And then they also shoot water at you. Mm. There's certain scenes, you know, where they're sliding across the the lake there where water's getting you and stuff. Mm. Oh, yeah. And you got your 3D glasses on. So that's fun. I do like Polar Express in that format a lot more. It's really cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for me this year, first... Christmas as a parent. So my wife and I are currently fostering two children and I've never been a parent on Christmas before. You know, it's one thing when you kind of grow out of being like a child 
you know, on Christmas, because the older you get, the less it becomes about the presents. And having children now, that's kind of reverts back. So looking forward to that. But yeah, as Paul said, you know, looking forward to diving into the gospel story in Luke 2. I mean, there's so many different places we could we could look at, whether it be Isaiah, whether it be Matthew, as it pertains to the gospel story and the birth of Christ. But we're going to look today at Luke chapter 2 and kind of divide things up, each of us taking a section. And so Daniel's going to take the first section. So Daniel, if you just want to read it, and we'll just make some comments about the text and, and get through it. Yeah, I'll read it. Luke chapter 2. And we're reading from probably three different versions of the Bible, but you know, no worries. ESV? So, mine's NIV. It's old school. Here it is. Luke chapter 2. The birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to a firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So I just had, you know, two quick thoughts about it. One is uh, it mentions there that Joseph is in the line of David. So I'm thinking about fulfilled prophecy because in Micah 5, it talks about he'll be from the line of David and he'll be born in Bethlehem. And I just love seeing how God orchestrated everything. So it mentions Joseph is from the line of David. So boom, there's that. And then also, oh, here comes the census out of nowhere. I guess you got to go back home. Uh, you got to go to the city of David. And while you're there, oh, guess what? Jesus is born. So another prophecy fulfilled. So it's just all the things just lining up brilliantly, perfectly. And it's neat to, that all these prophecies, when added up, come to a mathematical probability that is so outside yeah. of unlikely. It's impossible. And yet here's Jesus fulfilling so many prophecies with his birth, his life, his death, everything. Funny, the evidence is there. Right, and the fact that Luke, who's a historian, is so rooted in the rulers and the dates and what's happening. I mean, we have, the real reason that I chose the second section is because I wanted to hear Daniel read the names for the first section. I think he, he did, did a great, great job. Yes. But yeah, but <laughs> Caesar Augustus and then the registration with Quirinius was the governor of Syria and all these different towns that named and so, yeah, Luke was very much rooted in history, right? And he says that from the beginning of his gospel. And of this first section, just the thought of Jesus being from the town of Nazareth is such an immensely big deal. Because in the Old Testament, you have thousands and thousands of years with hundreds of names of people, different nations names of different cities in these nations. There's just so much taking place in the Old Testament. And Nazareth is not in the Old Testament at all. As a matter of fact, in Jesus's ministry, when people speak about him, they talk about Jesus who was from Nazareth in Galilee because it wasn't assumed that when people heard that somebody was from Nazareth, that people knew where Nazareth was. So they had to specify it's in Galilee. Nazareth was a town of less than 2,000 people, just insignificant, not much taking place. 
And here's the savior of the world, the one, the Messiah, the one who's come to save his people from their sins. And he comes from this town that is just seemingly insignificant in our eyes, but in God's eyes, it's significant. So from the very beginning, the gospel is this story about how God brings significance to things that we don't ascribe significance to, right? If the savior can come from Nazareth, then God can do absolutely anything he wants. And it's just a beautiful story just in line with Jesus was born in the manger, right? No room for him at the end. In the same way, he was from Nazareth, this small little podunk, seemingly a nothing town. Yeah, that devotion, what's the name of the one we're going through? O Come Emmanuel. O Come, O Come Emmanuel. Yes. By? Johnny Gibson. Yeah, really good stuff. But that was pointed out in there recently about how if he was born in a palace to a prominent family and it all fit a king, a lot of people couldn't relate to that. But the way Jesus came into the world, the way God ordained that, it was something that anyone could relate to. Yeah, not just for males, but for females, not just for the ruling class, but for the ordinary people, for all different kinds of people. That's the reason that Christ came. There's one verse at the end of Luke's gospel where Jesus is talking to his disciples after he you know, has risen and a new body. And he says to his disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I love that. He's reminding them, look, everything down to where I was born, how I would be born, to whom I would be born, it had to happen that way. Yeah, and that was the threefold division of the Hebrew Bible, law, prophets, psalms, slash writings. So Jesus isn't just picking any three random things. That is what the Israelites knew as the Hebrew Bible, law, prophets, writings. So Jesus is saying, it's all about me. So our next section we have here in verses 8 through 21. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So obviously this is kind of the, the central part of this chapter, the 
The birth of Jesus is recorded, what's happening right before, what's happening right after. And we'll just make a few comments on some of these verses. So verse 10, there's just so much taking place here. The angel of the Lord said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So this is what the gospel is, right? That word gospel literally means good news. And in Jesus's time, a gospel, right? When we think of the word gospel, we might think of it as the proper noun, right? What is the gospel? But in his time, a gospel is just a piece of good news. It wasn't inherently a spiritual word. It was just a, a good report, right? So gospel is good news of great joy. Uh, that's the reason that Jesus came into, I mean, there's many reasons why Jesus came into the world. Jesus wants us to have great joy in him. And I think about the, right, the high priestly prayer of John 17 and even before that, the long discourse, John 14 through 17, you know, basically Jesus says, I have come to you that your joy may be complete in me. Christianity is not a religion that is merely do good works and get something in return or do good works so that you'll be a good person. God wants us to have great joy in him. And I think about the beginning of the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. God is after our joy. And I think it's a common misconception for folks nowadays, right? Christians are just, well, they believe in no sex before marriage and they believe in don't do this and don't do that. But as far as what we do believe, we believe that God has given us great, immense, unceasing, eternal joy. That's what we have in Christ. So the gospel, good news of great joy. And then how does that verse end? That will be for all the people. Such a beautiful phrase to show the inclusivity of the gospel, right? The gospel invites, again, men and women. And as we see in the rest of this passage, it invites shepherds, it invites kings, it invites those who are high in society, those who are low in society, those who think great of themselves and those who think very lowly of themselves. The gospel is for all different kinds of people. And that's a beautiful truth that we can hold on to. And then later on in the chapter, there's so many things that can be said, but verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus entered a world that didn't have much peace, but he came to bring peace. And Paul did a good job talking about this at chapel this morning at Harps Academy, but the thought that peace is not the absence. Peace isn't just, there's no war going on, but peace is a thing, right? Shalom. It's the thought that other things in the world may be happening, but I have this inner help, this inner joy in my heart that although other things are taking place, I have peace. I can live with today because I have Christ. Yeah, you covered it really well. Just the fact that, again, it's shepherd, that this proclamation was made, you know, it just, shows the upside downness of the kingdom already that this would be presented to shepherds in a field and random shepherds. We don't know who they are. We don't know their names, anything about them. If they had families, kids, that's beautiful. Versus going to the center of Jerusalem on a tower and saying, hey, this is happening. So the upside downness of the kingdom and that God, the joy you were talking about just a minute ago, 
that doesn't come through, you know, things being good in our lives, even, or everything working out. There's people at Christmas right now that Christmas is not a joyful time mm-hmm. for them. It's a hard, hard season. Joyful in the terms of, you know, everything working out just right, right? That's not necessarily joy, but they do have true joy, even though they're going through mourning or loss or grief through Christmas because of Christ, you know, because of that wholeness that Christ brings, that lack of chaos, but a a healing, a wholeness through him. And so, yeah, the upside downness of the kingdom is seen in this, or the right side up, I should say, of what really matters, how God views things. All right, well, I'll continue with the last little part here. There is more to the chapter, but I'm just going to read through verse 33 as Jesus is presented in the temple. It says, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this was a righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simon blessed the child and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through his own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Sorry, I continued on with one more verse, and it's a good place to stop there. But, you know, for this section, I've always loved the just the thought of somebody rejoicing so much over this child. In our minds, we would think, again, this baby would be born among kings and lights and all the spectacular stuff. But here you have an old man who was devout and righteous and had heard from the Lord. The Lord had promised him and spoke to him personally about seeing Jesus face to face. I just can't imagine how overwhelmed he must have been. And even to the point where he said, hey, I could die in peace now. No problem. Mm -hmm. Let's go. You know, and it's the same for every believer who meets Jesus is, wow, you know, the one who I've needed my whole life. And so I just love that account for that reason of this guy who was waiting. And again, the parents, I can imagine the parents sitting there saying, okay. What's going on here? Pretty awesome. And I like how after that, Anna comes along and she mm-hmm. does yeah. much the same. And she's pretty cool, cool old lady. And then it just goes on from there. Jesus keeps growing in wisdom and stature. And then he's at the temple teaching people. And people are continually being marveled by him. Those who 
they're on the cusp. They're like, yeah, something different about this one. But like Simeon and Anna, they knew. And then John the Baptist comes and prepares the way. And when he sees them, he's like, oh, yeah, that's the one the Lord told me about. So it's kind of neat. I'm thinking of people who spend time with the Lord. They actually hear his voice. Jesus talks about my sheep will hear my voice. They know my voice. Yeah. It's neat that it's available for anyone, whoever it is. Like you're talking about, instead of not just for kings and special people like that who are born in nobility. It's like now you can spend time with the Lord and you can hear his voice. And I oh mean, you can be in the presence of God Almighty. Yeah. Pretty the, neat. The sweetness of paying attention. You know, the magi would have been others who were paying attention mm-hmm. and watching and looking and yeah. listening. And here you have Simeon and then mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Or mom and Joseph and paying close attention to all of these things. Yeah, God discloses himself, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the shepherds, right? He yeah. sends the angels to tell him, he's like, hey, something's happening. Go and check it out. And then they marveled, they hurried off and they're like, look, this is exactly what they said. So I love that this is God. You know, this is a revelation of God. This is God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And, you know, we can know him and be known by him and have a relationship with him. And this is the beginning of that with the birth. Pretty awesome. Simeon says in verse two that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And when the angels came, it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And just that thought of light, Jesus is light. You know, we love Isaiah 9, 7, unto you is born this day. Never mind, that's in the Gospels. But if I flip back to Isaiah 9, you know, we could read that. But Isaiah 9, 2 says that the peoples who have been walking in darkness have seen a great light, right? On them has the light of God shone. And so if you think about, if you are walking in a place of complete darkness, you can't make sense of reality. You don't know what's around you and you can't understand things as they truly are. And I just love how Jesus is described as, of course, John 8, the light of the world, but here Jesus is a light for revelation. So with Jesus, because he is the light, we can understand life now. We can't understand life without Christ. We don't know who we are. We may have a a bit of an inkling, but we don't truly know, but he is this revelation, this light for revelation to the Gentiles. Of course, the last book of the Bible is revelation, but the entire Bible is lowercase r is revelation. It's the revealing of who God is. So Jesus is this light that shines into the darkness. And for us as followers of Christ, that's such a beautiful, wonderful truth for us. We deal with darkness. Jesus shines his light into our hearts and helps us during whatever moment of need that we have. So he is this light for revelation to the Gentiles. And then as he ends the verse, so to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So that's it. Jew and Gentile, both alike. The gospel is for both of these peoples. We're used to this story, God sending his son. But to think, it could have just been God just showing himself light, you know, a one-time thing to reveal as much truth as he wanted. Sending his son to become a human like us, it's really big. (laughs) We do this each year, right? But that doesn't mean we should lose the wonder each year of, wow, Mm. this happened. This is rooted in history. This is a miracle. A virgin gave birth to a savior in a barn, basically, and he's going to die for the sins of the people. This 
is incredible. So we do hope that for all who are listening, that the wonder and the awe of the Christmas story, whether you've been a Christian for one year or for 70 years, don't just get satisfied and don't just get so comfortable with it that you lose the wonder of, wow, this took place. This happened for God's people that we would turn from sin, would trust in him more and more each and every day. So good job, guys. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. We do hope that you have a Merry Christmas. We thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to contact us, we have a phone number, 629-888-3056. And then if you'd like to email us, you can email us at anchored at harpscrossing.com. We'd love to hear that from either of you guys, from anybody with that. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. Stay anchored. Steve Podcast Productions.